<laughs> no, 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 I was not you, a cheerleader, you but che- I was a gymnast for 10 years. Yeah. It shows. It shows. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm down with it. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's so run that back. Hey, all, and welcome back to Group Therapy. I'm one of your hosts, licensed clinical social worker, Kristen Gingrich. I'm licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Kristen Casey. I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. Jessica Rabin. And I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. J. This week, we are covering bipolar and how it is more than just mood swings. So settle in, take a seat, and welcome to group therapy. But before we get into that, let's dive into the reflection question from last week's self-harm episode. And that was, what is one positive way that you can cope with uncomfortable emotions during your week? Mm. So a bunch of you commented on the Instagram page. As always, we put it over there, so make sure that you engage and comment. So let's go through some of them. Someone said to find time to really sit in that emotion, um, being able to sit and process that actually helps them to process future emotions. They said knitting, going for a walk, giving my pers- myself permission to rest. We know Jess never gives her awesome. herself permission to rest. She's never I've rested never ever. Rested ever. <laughs> never too late to start. <laughs> it's never too late to start. Someone I'll said rest just as the pajama there. pants for resting, but <laughs> your head isn't resting. I'm sorry, I've had to. <laughs> Jess just showed us all her pajama pants before we started recording, and they are iconic. Iconic. They're not. I've had them since high school. <laughs> Someone said dancing, spin class, weightlifting, crocheting, shopping online, cold water to the face, ice cubes in their hands, weighted blankets, holding my anxiety sloth. I'm on an anxiety sloth. What? Mm. Wait. I need more that's information. Pretty ba- that's that's badass. It has yeah, to be badass. like one of those weighted animals. Like Target has a weighted dinosaur. Oh, I thought Ooh. it was an actual. Sorry, my mind went. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean, I was like, damn, that's like sloth. intense. Maybe. Yeah. Someone said wanna, eat their I'm favorite go foods and take regular breaks from their uni work by watching a comfort series. Someone said listening to podcasts, hopefully ours. I'm working on a puzzle mm-hmm. because each puzzle piece gives them dopamine. Ooh, then someone said watching a really sad episode of Grey's Anatomy, so I'm forced to cry, which I think is almost every episode of Grey's Anatomy. So, never huh? seen it. Neither have I. I've just seen a couple episodes. Not Doctor J. Yeah. It's you're looking very Handful. stoic. Very long Handful. time ago. I feel like that show <laughs> is like as old as I am. So. <laughs> First aired in 1972. <laughs> oh my God, stop. Get out of here. And then the last one was just talking to someone that they trust. Yeah. Awesome. I like that one. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. That's sweet. So yeah, always make sure after our episodes to head over to that Instagram page, engage with those reflection questions. We'd love to hear from you. But this week is all about bipolar. So what is bipolar? Is it just mood swings? Like, I mean, that's what we hear all the time, right? Oh, my God, she's so bipolar. Like, she, her mood changes with, with like, the minute hand. What? All like, of like, us are like, oh. <laughs> the the <laughs> minute hand? Where'd you get? Like, every minute. Every minute that goes <laughs> by. Oh, I get you. I get you. I, I just don't have an, a clock like that anymore. So, I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you even but, know um, how to read a clock like that? <laughs> math, numbers. It's got to be analog or mm-hmm. I'm out. 
But I think to answer your question, I mean, when I think of mood swings, I think mood swings are things that anybody can experience. But with bipolar, there's distinctive periods of time in which somebody might have mania, hypomania, and then they have those low moments of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's definitely notable compared to mood swings. But I, I would imagine, though, that if somebody's saying like, oh, she's so bipolar, that might actually be really stigmatizing to somebody who actually mm-hmm. has that disorder. I don't know what y'all think. <laughs> Anybody at this point I was, would, I was that would help. Open I, our mouths at the same time, then looked at each other. That's probably the hardest jets. part about a podcast with four people. It's like we're like, is someone else going? Oh, what's happening? No, I, I agree. I get really frustrated when people are like, "Oh, she's so bipolar. I, I'm so bipolar because my mood just shifts." Kind of like. And we talked about this in the OCD episode, like, oh, I'm so OCD because I like things organized or clean Um, because bipolar disorder is absolutely more than just mood swings. And another thing I think a lot of people don't recognize is that there are different types of bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, one type and people oftentimes have heard of mania and we can go into what that is, but that is a classic sign of bipolar type one. Then we have hypomania, which is bipolar type two. And then we also have cyclothymia, which is two years for adults, one year for children um, that have hypomanic and depressive periods, but they don't meet full criteria for Mm. an episode of mania, hypomania, or depression. So I think there's a ton of misunderstanding about what bipolar disorder Mm. truly is. Yeah. This is a topic that is close to home for me because my brother had bipolar type one. And so growing up, seeing his ups and downs and struggles, I think just to put a nail in the final thing about mood swings, if you change the verbiage to mood episodes, it's Mm. better categorized like what we're talking about. Typical people, like people without a bipolar type one or a bipolar disorder in general, we typically can experience our moods changing, but mm-hmm. it usually is over the course of hours, right? Mm-hmm. You could be irritable mm-hmm. for a few hours. You could be sad for multiple hours. But when we're talking about sustained mood episodes, we're talking days into weeks, mm-hmm. which is not a mood swing where for me it's late in the day i delayed eating lunch and now i'm a little bit irritable and my caffeine's wearing off so i'm starting to get downtrodden you know what i mean like these are sort of the typical like Mm. mood swings maybe we experience or mood changes but an episode of a mood that's sustained over days into weeks is something completely different and that's what we're talking about related to bipolar Mm. yeah I love that I love that you described it that way because when I think of when I think of mania it it is more than that mood sw- like the like what you mm-hmm. just described Justin like hey I didn't eat and like mm-hmm. I'm just kind of feeling it at the end of the day because I mean it, it's it's also people who experience mania could also most likely experience that decreased need for sleep like they're not mm-hmm. sleeping as much because they have that like elevated expansive goal goal oriented activity that they're just on and mm-hmm. I think when people experience mania at least my clients and uh, some of my colleagues have told me too that mania could be productive and helpful while also being extremely painful. So it's hard to kind of denote like, do I want to experience this or not? You know, mm. and sometimes people obviously can't help it when they have bipolar, you know, but I do think depending on how the person conceptualizes it, 
that decreased need for sleep, because you know, I'm a sleep expert, um, is one of the notable features that I use to distinguish that like mood episode from like a mood swing. Mm-hmm. Well, and going off of that, K10, you know, in addition to decreased need of sleep, we see like the inflated self-esteem, grandiosity, mm-hmm. the pressured mm-hmm. speech, flight of ideas, more distractible, um, engaging in more high-risk behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are not things that I would argue are typical of someone who maybe didn't eat and is now a little hangry. Mm-hmm. Like you're not yeah. going to have that inflated self-esteem, grandiosity, um, like you see in a manic episode. And then we also know just with every single mental health disorder is that the disturbance has to cause impairment in social and occupational mm-hmm. functioning. So, you know, going back to Dr. J's example, if it's the end of the day, he hasn't really eaten, his mood is, you know, becoming more irritable, he eats, gets some rest, is doing better. It did not disrupt his functioning right. that day. Exactly. You know, he might have snapped at somebody or been short with somebody, um, maybe couldn't focus because he was focusing on his Taco Bell he wanted to get. Um, it's pissed at Walter for not delivering it on time. You know what I mean? Like, like that makes sense. When that dot's not moving and you're trying to figure, like, what are you broken no. down? I'll come fix your type. Where are you? You know, you've seen that dot freeze and it's a moment of panic. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a short period of time, not the exactly. days that we see in hypomania, mm-hmm. which is four days, I believe, per clinical criteria yeah. or a week for mania. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I just, it's, it's funny because I just was talking to someone that I know about this and, you know, people will say, oh, I'm manic. I spent a hundred dollars. No, you, that could be a start of mania. Absolutely. But that could just be, Mm -hmm. I'm impulsive. Mania is I've spent $10,000 in two days on everything Mm -hmm. and anything that I've seen. Um, Like the person that I know said, like, I got so drunk and I wanted to roll out of my car because I thought I could survive because I was so high and up there because mm-hmm. like the idea of consequences didn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Like there, like the idea of mania, while it feels to individuals with bipolar may feel good. It actually like does not feel good in a lot of ways as well, because you enter into so many unsafe situations or behaviors that can when you kind of come down, a lot of people that I've worked with or know will have lots of regrets because oh, yeah. maybe, again, they've spent their entire savings because they they were just so – they were so high and they didn't know what they were doing um, versus like, wow, I'm just feeling really good. I'm feeling a little impulsive. Let's go on a small shopping spree and I've spent two or $300. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with any diagnosis, it's important to kind of capture the full gamut of what the person is experiencing because mm-hmm. you could go and be impulsive. Impulsivity is a notable feature of many different diagnoses. But when we think of bipolar, it's within the context of a manic episode. And I think for some people, mm-hmm. they might like to KBI to your point, they might experience that, you know, excessive spending or potentially gambling. And and for some people, it might be promiscuity, it might be other things. And um, it has to be, if we're just thinking about diagnostic purposes, because I know our listeners might be wondering, um, you know, within that manic episode. But I think for people with mania, I don't know what y'all think. 
do you think that there are treatments out there that could be helpful? And, and what might those treatments be? If any. So bipolar is not an area of expertise of mine. I have seen a few clients with bipolar disorder and from my experience and understanding, and obviously you all can correct me if I'm wrong, medication oftentimes is a first line of defense. Now within mm -hmm. the therapeutic realm, obviously we have a lot of therapeutic interventions for the depression side. Um, but for, I'm thinking of the few clients I have worked with, with bipolar disorder, it's really like teaching them and processing and understanding what their warning signs are, that they're entering a manic episode, um, learning impulse control, um, behaviors, um, you know, kind of looking at the pattern that they have had in the past, reducing mm -hmm. risk. So if they're, you know, when they've had manic episodes engaged in, you know, sexually, um, dangerous or promiscuous behavior or spending, how can we put safeguards in place, mm -hmm. um, ahead of time for those things? Okay. But this is definitely not an area of expertise of mine. So I'd love to hear other people's thoughts. Yeah. With, with mania specifically, there's a number of different mood stabilizers. My brother took uh, lithium and Depakote for years. Um, but yeah, medication tends to be the first line. Mm -hmm. And then it is, I echo exactly what Jess was saying. You are trying to recognize and not follow this elevation and mm -hmm. being able to name it and say, I'm in a manic episode. This is my mania is pivotal. Mm -hmm. I know with my brother, like, like a lot of people who are in mania, he really enjoyed it. He loved it. You know, mm -hmm. he would disappear yeah. for weeks. And I'm talking when he was like 13, 14, 15 years old, he ran away from home. We get locked up in juvie. Sometimes it would run its course while he's in juvie. Sometimes he'd come out and still be in a manic episode, but getting him to reel in that this is a problem is a huge part as with most things. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's because you feel so high and up and you get this flight of ideas, the grandiosity's there. My brother tell you, he felt like a superhero. He's like, mm -hmm. I just yeah. raged and raved and, but it of course created tons of problems. Like he was getting arrested yeah. and, was using a lot of different drugs to try to balance it out. Um, but it wasn't until he was older that he began to recognize that these states, like exactly what Jess was saying, like he had to limit how much he would fall into them and not hang around certain people and mm -hmm. let other people know, like therapists and take his medication and do things that would, again, not create more problems down the line. But I know a lot of people with bipolar, especially bipolar type one, self-medicate through using a lot of different drugs. Like my brother got addicted to heroin. And so that mm -hmm. was one mm -hmm. way he was trying to self-medicate. I have a lot Thank of family members too that. with bipolar. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Justin. Um, very similar experience too with the substance use. I'm happy you brought that up because I think people are trying in my mind desperately to find something that can help. You know, and I think substances are one way that people, you know, if we think about substances from a harm reduction approach, it's one way that people feel like they could manage, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think it's an incredible journey for people to become aware of these 
warning signs because it's hard. Think about when you feel up, who wants to say, oh, I don't want this feeling. Yeah. It's probably mm-hmm. really hard to say. And that's something, like I said before, like uh, commonly with my clients who struggle with bipolar is they'd rather feel manic than feel the depression yeah. part. Yeah. Because sure. at least the manic, one of the things like uh, one of the things someone has said to me is at least with the manic, I get shit done. Mm. sometimes it's not you know productive and yeah i engage in some harmful behaviors on the opposite end but at least i get shit done but when i'm in a depressive phase nothing happens and so it's really hard like you know talking with someone that i know like it's sometimes hard for them to want to take medications when Mm. they know that they're Mm -hmm. heading in that upswing because they're like wow i've been depressed for i've been in the downswing for so long because mm-hmm. even the medication doesn't stop the swings completely. It just le- it makes the swing less. Mm-hmm. It takes the edge off. The, the back yeah. and forth. Like, it takes the edge off. And so when they do enter the manic, it's not as high. It's not, mm-hmm. as, it's not as intense. It's not as harmful. Mm-hmm. But when they hit the low, it's not as low. It's not as deep. Mm-hmm. But nobody likes feeling low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's the hard part. Totally. And I think there's an interesting part, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like with, with bipolar type 1, they may not have a depressive episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With bipolar type yeah. 2, there needs you to be to. an occurrence of the hypomania, which we haven't really talked mm-hmm. about yet, which is just a less sort of clinically significant form, less severe form of mania. And the way mm-hmm. I like to think of it is if you ever were around someone who's in a manic episode, you would know mm-hmm. without question. It's a medical emergency. Mm-hmm. You will know. Yeah. And every client I've ever had who is in full manic episode, I knew immediately. Like mm-hmm. you know it in the speech, in the way they're talking with you, the way they're interacting, the things they disclose, you know. Hypomania can be a very different story. You might not know. Mm-hmm. It couldn't even be hard mm-hmm. to distinguish it is an elevation that in a lot of ways might not cause difficulties in school or work or be a problem per se. But Mm -hmm. in bipolar type two, you have the hypomania and the depressive episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. And as just described before with cyclothymia or cyclothymia, you're having some of the symptoms of hypomania and depressive episodes, but never quite reaching the, the full episode. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that you brought that distinction up just in between mania and hypomania because with hypomania, yes, it's we have the shorter duration, so it only has to be four days. It's not nearly as severe as mania. And even though I said a little bit earlier that mania, like all disorders, has a disruption in functioning, for the criteria for hypomania, there is not actually that criteria. It's just associated with change in functioning, mm-hmm. and it, the that change is observable by others. So what I have seen, heard, or even thinking about, like, I remember when I used to teach, there was this video to teach about um, bipolar disorder, and the guy in the video would talk about his hypomanic episodes and basically he was a university student and in a depressive episode wouldn't get anything done, anything done. And in the week period that he was hypomanic would get all of his semester work done. It was a very productive hypomania. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that is not obviously sustainable Mm -hmm. 
in, in life over time. Um, but his was very like, I'm going to reorganize my room. I'm going to start projects. I'm going to, it is very goal oriented. And we can see that with mania as well. Mm -hmm. But to your point, Justin, you may not know that somebody is hypomanic. You might just be like, oh, they're no longer depressed anymore. That's why they're Mm. being so productive. That's kind of what I noticed the most is they're like, they have, they're re-engaging with like their hobbies and, you know, they're, they're in the world doing the things that they enjoy. And sometimes, yeah, you just, you just don't realize it and it's, it's Mm -hmm. tough. But I wonder when I think about mania and hypomania, I would even imagine it being difficult to discern what is impaired functioning Mm -hmm. for hypomania. Mm -hmm. Like if it's impairing your functioning bit when it's not as intense, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's why I think it goes unnoticed and maybe people are even underdiagnosed, I would imagine. It's sneaky. Mm -hmm. It's sneaky. It's a sneaky snake. Well, and too, like like the impaired function, like that can vary for so many people. Like mm-hmm. you can have a textbook sure. version of what impaired functioning is, but that that could be so different for for e- like when it actually comes to application. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one thing I wanted to kind of pose to you all is a lot of times, at least in my experience, we see people that either are misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder or bipolar disorder is confused with other mental health Mm -hmm. disorders. And I kind of wanted to get y'all's thoughts on like, what have you seen in practice? Have there been times like you're meeting with a client and you're like, is this bipolar? Is this another disorder? And kind of as clinicians, how do we discern that? I think Kristen could probably speak to this more, but sometimes when I think of um, like amphetamine use, sometimes substance Mm -hmm. use, sometimes people might present as very elevated Mm -hmm. and it might be attributable to that substance rather than mania. Kristen, I don't know. Absolutely. I don't have experience with substance use. No, absolutely. I mean, um, if you you don't know that a person may struggle, um, even if you do, like it just sometimes, it just sometimes gets missed and you're like, wait. And it's not, I mean, in the substance use world, we tell, we tell individuals like to really gauge a diagnosis. We kind of want to see like 30 days substance free in order to really gauge what the impact is Mm -hmm. because so many side effects or symptoms of a substance use, like you said, amphetamines um, or anything like that can mimic like certain behaviors of bipolar when the reality is they may really not have that. They, they absolutely mm-hmm. might. Um, but that's one of those big things is really trying to suss out um, in the sud, in the sud world. Um, if that person, and I see that all the time. I mean, I see mental health, any mental health disorder getting diagnosed a lot of the time um, incorrectly because we, mm-hmm. because of those symptoms, but I would say bipolar tends to be a pretty common one. Um, I also see, um, even just like, even just depression, I will say like, I see Mm -hmm. get misdiagnosed, um, frequently as bipolar, because again, I think that they're even, even as mental health providers, what is our education around bipolar? And I've Mm -hmm. seen people where they've like, yeah, like this happened, one time and I got, I got this diagnosis slapped on me mm-hmm. and I'm like, and I've been sat there and I'm like, but I've been working with you for a year and a half and I haven't yeah. even seen 
anything like like that would even meet criteria and you're not taking medications for it like we're looking at all of that and so that's also a common thing that i see yeah yeah i was going to add and just say that it's important to remember that with bipolar that it's episodic mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. that you go into these episodes that last days into weeks plus um but and i don't want to spoil some questions that i know we're going to get mm-hmm. asked but there can be overlap with adhd um mm-hmm. especially when you talk about the inintention the energy hike the impulsivity but when you're trying to do differential diagnosis and you're looking at long standing behaviors things like adhd again it doesn't fade in and out it's mm-hmm. been there it's been there consistently but with bipolar, people will come in and out of the episodes. They can last a while, mm-hmm. but they can still come in and out and often do. They may or may not have depressive episodes, but they're going to experience these ups and then come back to some sort of baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about the differential diagnosis between bipolar and what often people are probably referring to when they talk about mood swings, which is borderline mm-hmm. personality disorder or BPD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with BPD, I mean, I have people refer to their bipolar disorder as BPD. BPD. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a like shame it's... that they both are sort of BPD, but <laughs> yeah, one is referred to yeah, right. PDs or personality disorders is one yeah. way to remember. I've seen that. I'm like, oh, I, I have someone, they, they, I remember this distinctly. And they're like, yeah, I have BPD. And I was like, oh, who diagnosed you with borderline personality disorder? They're like, no, I'm not diagnosed with that. I'm diagnosed with bipolar. And I'm like, Oh, we don't call yeah. bipolar BPD. That's by bi- that's borderline. Oh no, I mm-hmm. my my doctor told me that, and I was like, I don't know who to call that, but okay, let me call your doctor up. Be like, you're incorrect. <laughs> In that voice yeah. and everything. Yeah, I'll be yeah. like, hello, <laughs> yeah. you're on, yeah. you're wrong. Stop using wrong acronyms. <laughs> Thank you. As someone who works with kids, like I see especially when I worked psychiatric inpatient, young kids coming in with bipolar disorder, which it can happen. It is rare. And I did not look up the stats before this, which is semi-shocking. But I also feel like it's pretty hard to diagnose a kid with bipolar disorder. Yes, we do know that um, like typically onset is in the 20s or 30s, but even just like Mm -hmm. the criteria in the DSM for what a manic episode is for kids is like increased silliness um, and an elevated mood. But I have seen a lot of times kids get a bipolar diagnosis when it is ADHD. I hate the Mm -hmm. diagnosis of ODD, but it's more of a behavioral disorder or trauma in young kids. And then they're acting out, they're being irritable. But to your point, Justin, it's not that episodic. It's like – day to day or only around mm-hmm. certain people or only around when limits are put on. And that is not bipolar disorder. Mm. I think that's why it's important to continually, like with any diagnosis, like to continually assess, you know, if, if you have the luxury and the privilege mm-hmm. to do so, because it could mm-hmm. be you had a really bad day and you're mm-hmm. catching this kid on like the worst day of his life, you know, or it could be, wow, mom has noticed this period of episodes that come every couple of weeks. And I think that's why when people get an assessment and stuff like that, it's important to just look at history 
and look at the mm-hmm. longevity of mm-hmm. how long has this been around for? Because um, mm-hmm. to Kristen's point, it could be, hey, you know, within that 30 days of substance use, let's see what's going on after that, you know? Um, and even with kids, I, I don't work with children, so I don't have any expertise in this area, but I would imagine it being really important to look at history and just how it how it plays out over time. Where does, and so the question that I pose too is where does disruptive mood disorder come into this? Which I've DMDD. always heard, uh, yeah, I've always, like it's a common phrase in, in my area of the field of that's kitty bipolar. Yeah. I mean, so DMDD, and I've seen a couple what I would say are true DMDDs um, when I worked psychiatric inpatient. But yeah, really that is kind of like, my conceptualization, a lot of people in the children world, um, when the DSM-5 came out, is instead of diagnosing children with bipolar disorder when they didn't really meet criteria, DMDD kind of fills that um, space. And for those of you that don't know what DMDD is, it looks at more of those like anger outbursts, irritability outbursts that we Mm -hmm. would see in children that goes beyond of a typical like temper tantrum. So this might be like a 10-year-old having these outbursts in conjunction with the depressive episode. So it's not what we consider like the classic ODD, which I hate that diagnosis, Mm -hmm. um, but more like these episodes happen in conjunction with a kid that also meets criteria for major depressive disorder. Um, But once again, that's not an area of expertise of mine, but that is kind of how I've heard it conceptualized as well. So I had a speaking, thought oh, and then yeah, I, go. sorry, I, no, I, I, no, I don't have the thought anymore. I have no idea where it went. I had it and then it just like left me. Just, so it just left. you could go. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was here. And then like a, a little See, bird came and took it. See, like, I don't know. Even, you know, even some people have doctorate degrees and you still can't <laughs> I don't know who gave together. Me. I don't, no, no. I still, I a point we didn't really wrap up, but is true is like, for people living with bipolar disorder, there's still a lot of hope in learning that mm-hmm. you can learn to greater regulate yourself, even mm-hmm. if you can't always prevent the episodes from happening. I think mm-hmm. that's really important to internalize because a lot of people will be like, well, if, you know, if I can't stop myself from having a manic episode, like what's the real point? What's and there's the point? some research out there yeah. that shows like learning what regulates you, what keeps stress levels low is helpful. Um, does it again, does it always prevent an episode from happening? No, no, but it, it tends to be a universal truth within mental health. If, mm-hmm. if we can keep cortisol levels low, if we can keep your stress in balance, and if you know the tools and techniques that can regulate you, which mm-hmm. often, again, privileged for sure, but psychotherapy is a great place for that to name what mm-hmm. is, to process what is, to talk about what you might be experiencing does help alleviate and helps us navigate because again can't always stop what storm system is going to come but you can better navigate them when they do well and and creating a support system if you have the ability yeah and Mm -hmm. and you know creating and surrounding yourself with people that when you when you are low they're going to help lift you and and even help lift you but even sit in that with you totally but also Mm -hmm. when you're high they're not they're going to help bring you down, but also not take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. Because I think mm-hmm. that also happens. So, But like finding that really good support system of also people who know what your telltale signs are 
mm-hmm. and then they're like, hey, y'all, mm-hmm. yeah. there it is. What can we do? And how can yeah. we support? Yeah. It's important to do it without judgment too. My dad has bipolar and whenever he would be up, I would always think like, oh gosh, here he goes, you know, and I would mm-hmm. kind of like brace for impact. But I had to over the years realize that this is a version of him that I can op- with open arms support him, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and really, really help to like gently bring up like, hey, what do you need? And all that mm. stuff. You know, he didn't really yeah. he's macho. He's like, I don't have a problem. I'm like, okay, cool. Reason why I'm a psychologist, maybe. But anyways, um, but yeah, it, I think for that nod judgment really helps, you know, mm-hmm. for the support as well, just to add that in. So Justin, I love that you brought up hope and kind of there are ways to manage it. So do you all want to hear the Google Scholar short for this week? Let's go to the short. I, I hope no. it's a good one. <laughs> Aren't they oh, always, so good? Good. <laughs> They're always good? They're always good. They're always good. Sorry. Oh, God. So you all are aware that there have been increased clinical trials of psychedelics for mm-hmm. mental health disorders, correct? Mm-hmm. In recent years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you know that those clinical trials have historically excluded bipolar disorder due to concerns of triggering a manic episode? No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So they've done a lot on like depression and trauma, but a lot of the... Um, clinical trials have excluded bipolar disorder. So this week's uh, article um, is looking at the risks and benefits of psilocybin, so magic mushrooms, and the use of people with bipolar disorder. And so this was actually a web-based survey because once again, um, individuals with bipolar disorder have been historically excluded, even though so this article came out in 2023 and I did some like extra research. There's currently a clinical trial going on with psilocybin, but it wasn't talked about in this um, article. So mm-hmm. we kind of already touched on this, but pharmacotherapy for bipolar disorder is often first line of treatment. So it might be lithium, antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, and all of them, like any medication, have their limitations. Um What we know from clinical trials so far of psilocybin therapy, it is a promising treatment for many mental health conditions, including major depressive disorders and substance use disorders, um, which we've touched on both during this episode. Um, Like I said, clinical trials have excluded individuals with bipolar disorder due to fear of precipitating manic episodes. So due to the absence of this information regarding psilocybin use in bipolar disorder, it first inhibits planning for clinical trials, and it also restricts the ability of clinicians to hold productive conversations regarding psychedelic use with patients. So the goal of the current study was to describe intentions, practices, and experiences of adults with self-reported bipolar disorder who had at least one psychedelic trip using psilocybin. Mm. So I want to be clear, this was people recreationally using it who have bipolar disorder. Um, So it was an online survey, um, which included demographics, frequency of psilocybin use, interactions when using it, and mental health history. And there were quantitative and qualitative aspects to the survey, which I thought was cool that they could really narrate their experiences. Um, 541 participants, 46.4% 
female um, primarily residing in the United States, and the mean age was 34.1. And the most reported diagnostic subtype was bipolar 2. So negative or unwanted outcomes during or in the first 14 days after the psilocybin trip were reported by 32.2%. So about one-third experienced a negative or unwanted outcome. Um, And new or increasing manic symptoms was the most common side effect, followed by difficulties falling or staying asleep, anxiety symptoms, and depressive symptoms. Only 3.3% reported having to use emergency services during that 14-day period after a psilocybin trip. Mm. Participants reported a range of motivation for psilocybin use. So most commonly, they reported um, use to aid in personal development, and just over half reported an intent to treat symptoms of a mental health or substance use disorder. 86 respondents described improvements in mental health such as a reduction in depressive and anxiety symptoms, mood liability, and substance use. And on average, respondents rated the harmfulness of a psilocybin trip as 1.6 out of 5. So this was on a like made-up Likert scale, where 1 is not at all harmful and 5 is extremely harmful. And then the mean perceived helpfulness of psilocybin trips was 4 out of 5, where 1 was not helpful at all and 5 was extremely wow. helpful. So in conclusion, respondents described subjective benefits for mental health symptoms and well-being and overall found psilocybin more helpful than harmful. However, data also suggests that symptoms of bipolar disorder may be precipitated by psychedelic trips. Therefore, further investigation of psilocybin-based treatments for bipolar disorder in the context of carefully monitored clinical trials is needed. But like I said, I did a Google search and there is currently one clinical trial of psilocybin going on right now. So that's pretty hopeful. Like I'm actually, to be honest with you, I'm shocked at the results. I I really thought there was Mm going to be more negative. I don't know about y'all, but I just thought there was going to be more negative side effects that people would report. I don't, I don't know. I thought it was going to be greater than one third. Totally. Yeah. I'm always interested in learning about psychedelics. Mm -hmm. So like, it's just interesting. Like again, first that it's never really been done with individuals who suffer with bipolar and struggle but like two that like you guys said like the positives from it because I could be like my first reaction was like yeah I mean I guess I could see why they wouldn't mm-hmm. but also like it also in my head makes sense as to why it is helpful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it just goes to I- sh- show how liability factors dictate mm-hmm what people invest mm-hmm. their careers into. Mm-hmm. But it can be easy for yep. anyone to sit back and for us. Like, of course, I'm like, why, why wouldn't you do these trials? But like, as a researcher, like carrying that liability probably is pretty heavy. So it can yeah. be really mm-hmm. easy for many individuals to choose. Like, I'm not going to run the risk. But that's a shame, mm-hmm. right? Because then we yeah. don't get to the bottom yeah. of many unanswered questions. You wonder the role of insurance. I, I, I mm-hmm. get real curious yeah. of how far this yeah. goes to what people will cover as far as liability insurance is concerned mm-hmm. and stuff. But no. and that'd be interesting yeah, there's a really see. Oh, I was just gonna say I'd be interesting to see if these kind of self-reported studies help create an actual study. Like not that these aren't yeah. actual studies, but like yeah. more of a medical based trial. Yeah, yeah, more yeah. clinical trial because wow, look at all these self-studies that we've seen. Like, yeah, we have we've been getting definitely people saying all sorts of things, but 
more they're leaning towards this, we have backup that says, I have 400 studies that say this. Maybe that gives us ammo to be able to Mm -hmm. actually do a clinical trial. I don't know how research works, but. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you guys know the history of psilocybin research on that. Like, I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix. There's a series on Netflix that's actually pretty notable. And I think with Mm -hmm. um, like, I'm putting in air quotes, like the war on drugs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Everything was kind of lumped together and the research had to come to a halt. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. now all, now recently it's becoming more and more researched, which I think is incredible because I think yeah. a lot of people mm-hmm. can benefit um, depending on the need and the diagnosis mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I'm hopeful that the research continues. Absolutely. I agree. And one thing that I was thinking about when first reading this article and going through the results is like, okay, yeah, you're having self-reported people, um, self-report and so we don't know how much psilocybin people are taking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, I want to know. And obviously yeah. it's self-report, so the researchers don't know. So mm-hmm. that 32% of individuals that had manic symptoms, were they more frequent users of mm-hmm. psilocybin? What was mm-hmm. the dose? Because mm-hmm. with psychedelic research and then individuals that are trained in administering psychedelics, like it's very – calculated. Like the dosage is very specific. So I would be interested to see like, especially now that there is a clinical trial, if it's actually monitored small doses, like actually timed therapeutic, if we're Mm -hmm. seeing as many manic episodes. It's a great point. Great point. We need answers. Jess, you got to call them. Just call up the clinical trial. Do you know who I am? (laughs) I am. We have a podcast, and I need to know the answer. (laughs) We should just bring him on. Watch next episode. This random dude's going to be here. We're going to be like, "Who are you?" And just be like, "I gave him a call. He's showing up. He's going to let us know all the deets." We email. We'll forward this podcast to him and be like, "We spent this time. Give us yours. Thank you." Yeah, there's an interest. There's a gap in the research. You need to fill it right now, ASAP. Right now, you know. You know what? There's We're gonna never go to the know what we need to do right now. <laughs> go to polls. The polls go. Okay. That was such <laughs> a good. His finger. That was such a good transition. It was. That was one of We're trying so hard. It was zero. not zero. No. You, oh, you're giving us like a zero, like out of like a hundred, like we failed. Yeah. I, or a zero out of zero, it out and it's 10, perfect. But sure. We can do better, and we will. But nothing's better than the polls. Just, that, that was a better transition. Oh, come on. With that no was questions. just what mine was. I let's agree. just give, give, give it to him. He, he won. I mean, let's he just won. call a spade a spade. Justin okay. always wins. <laughs> he can't. Stop. I was going to say because he's a white man, but I didn't want to say. Stop talking about my friend. Okay. So did the polls. They were a little chaotic, as always, because I did them, because that's who I am as a person. So... The first one was, do you know the diagnostic features of bipolar disorder? The answers are yes, every single one. I might know a few. I'm somewhat familiar. I don't know that much about. Uh, I don't know that much about it to be honest. Which do you think was the highest? Can you read the two middle ones again? Sure. Um, I might know a few, and I'm somewhat familiar. They were kind of similar. Can you use those two in a in like what origin? <laughs> what country of origin? You're are asking those for from? too much. I'm going to say I, I might know a few. Mm-hmm. 42, just because mm-hmm. that rhymes. Yeah, I'm going to go with I might 50. know a few. 3%. Oh, my God. Why is Jess always 
Right. <laughs> it was 44. Like Did you were 2% off. Oh. Four, four, 44%. Oh. I might know a few. She can't be and then I'm somewhat familiar it was 23. Yeah. Okay. okay, next one. An estimated 4%-ish of adults in the U.S. experience bipolar disorder at some time in their lives. True, false, or not sure? False. What do y'all think? I think that's a little over from what I found. But what did people say? I'd say I think it's higher. I think they say true because four is just a random number. <laughs> you think they said true? I uh, True or not sure? I, say, I don't ooh. Okay. I feel like those two are close. I say, yeah, maybe they say not sure. And they are close. True is at 43 oh. and not sure is at 40. Um, oh, up wow. To date, I wasn't expecting up, them to be that high. Up to date said 4%. Um, oh, wow. I don't know for sure. I just want to let our listeners know. I thought that that was a little what off, but I don't say. What does the DSM say? Does anybody have the DSM up? I don't know I where I got this. Up because it's me. Lifetime um, prevalence rates. Just look up that. Um, I got 2.6 of the U.S. population. 2.6. 2.6. Okay. But I don't. Yeah. yeah. I think that was well, It did feel. Is the four like the world? <laughs> Yeah, prevalence. that was like global, but mm. yeah, I just wasn't sure. Yeah, the DSM okay. in the U.S. says 1.5 for 12-month prevalence, not, not oh, 12, lifetime. Not lifetime. Interesting. Mm-hmm. See, this is why nuance matters, people, right? Ooh, lifetime prevalence ratio in men to women is approximately 1.1 1. 1 to 1. Mm. Interesting. Whoa. Anyways. <laughs> Oh my God, Jess! I can't. Jess just got such a nerd. So I love it. I can't because well, that's so similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. It they is. could just How say one to one. But you guess other disorders, but, but it's not audible guess. But it's one to one point one. It's not one to one. No, Don't it's one. That to, research one point one to one. Yeah. Anyways, okay. Next question, Kate. Oh my goodness, guys! These are my friends. Like these are my friends. Okay. What is the first line treatment? You chose me, actually. Um, what is the first line treatment for bipolar disorder? <laughs> therapy, meds, therapy, and meds. Leprechauns. Leprechauns. One percent. Leprechauns got seven percent. We know that's out. Okay. It's because I voted what? for it. I'm gonna say people think it's therapy and meds mm-hmm. because it's a mental health podcast, and most mental health disorders are therapy and meds. Mm-hmm. Justin, what do you think? Eighty-three percent. Oh, okay. I was going to go lower. I was going to go like 60. 2%. If leprechauns are seven. <laughs> okay, Jess. Miss Know It All. Therapy meds got 63%. Yo, Jess, Jess But we know. She, no, I don't. But we, my phone is over here. It's off. Oh, well, there's my child. <laughs> <laughs> but like Justin said before, meds are the first line treatment mm-hmm. for bipolar. Um, okay. So what was that percentage? If you didn't click away, meds was twenty one percent. Therapy okay. and meds was sixty three, and then therapy was nine percent actually. With leprechauns, okay. being seven. With leprechauns, therapy. Leprechauns, and leprechauns is seven. <laughs> that seems like a solid choice, honestly. Yeah, it was St. Patty's Day, so mm-hmm. for those. Okay, um, do you think bipolar disorder is accurately depicted in the media? No. Yes, somewhat. Haven't thought about it or no. What do y'all think? Absolutely not. I think no. Justin, no, I've never seen a good depiction. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was at seventy seven percent. I mean, have we all watched Shameless? Like, hmm. yes. 
I will say Silver Linings Playbook doesn't do it that bad. You're right. I take back what I said. Yeah. You're right. Silver Linings Take backsies. That's pretty good. Yeah. You're right. But that is the only. That was in that movie. That's like one of my water bottle has a quote from Silver Linings Playbook. <laughs> how? I love that movie. What? <laughs> like, I don't understand how this all. Anyway, it's this is either a coincidence. I'm glad you or were in a simulation. That, I had completely, I completely forgot about that movie. Period. That's a, that's it's a, one of my favorite movies, which is why it's the really only reason good, I would have yeah. Bradley Cooper. Wow, and Jennifer Lawrence. Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I think Doctor J okay. has a little crush on Bradley Cooper. <gasps> I wouldn't Ooh. say little. I feel like everybody <laughs> has a crush on Bradley Cooper. <laughs> that was so Thank good. you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah. We needed to know if it was a little bit or a lot of it. Uh, ne- bipolar, next question. <laughs> okay. Bipolar is the blank leading cause of disability in the U.S. Mm. 7th, 13th, 18th, or 22nd? Or 20... Yeah. Now I'm just guessing like the group members. I say 13th. Okay. I was going to say 13. I don't know. I'm going to – what's the other ones? Uh, 7, 13th, 18th, 22nd. I would just go with 7 just to play Price is Right roles. But what? <laughs> just let, let her be. Let her be. Just let me live yeah. okay. my life. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to let – I'm actively letting it go. It let leaves it. on a stream. Let it's it on the leaf. Radical okay. acceptance. So 13th was the highest Okay. that our group members said, but it's actually 18th is what the stats mm-hmm. show. From up to date. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. 13th was 38%. Where'd you get your research from? Up did to date. Up it? to date. Up to date. Up to date. Yeah. Did you cite it? She doesn't know what that is. She doesn't know what up to date is. Oh, okay. no. Up to date is basically, for those, for those who don't know, like up to date is a research base and it keeps all of the up to date, he he he, information about whatever you want to research. If you work in a hospital, your doctors will have it on their phone and look up uh, stuff as they're. Going around Ooh. treating yep. patients, and those were the polls. Those were the polls, and that's and a wrap. I lo- I love that K ten because a lot of it was like educational. Yeah, totally. I was trying because I I wanted I wanted to learn something too, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. I think it was helpful, and I think it did throw me through a loop too when I was researching them. But I'm like, we need to learn new stuff. Mm-hmm. Why not? Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? Never. You know what else I love? We need to designate the person doing the transition. Wait, wait, I have an idea. Wait, I'll tell you guys later. No, I'll tell you now. So whoever does the section does the transition. No pressure. No, it's pressure now. From every episode from here on out, the pressure is on them to do it. And it better be good. It needs to be good. It better be fire or you're out of here. You're out. You sit out an episode. Yeah. Sit in the corner. So know what is fire? our group member questions. That's what I'm talking about, Jess. Let's go. <laughs> um, thank you all for submitting your questions. As always, we got um, a ton this time. It was well over 30 um, and a lot were different. So I'm excited to uh, dive into these questions. So the first question came from Savannah in Michigan. She asks, if you believe someone you love carries these tendencies, what would be some things to look out for and how could you encourage them to seek help? Yeah, some of the things that we have mentioned is the pressured speech. Mm-hmm. You can almost hear the speed at which their thoughts are processing. 
And you can also sense some grandiosity, maybe some big ideas. They got this big plan. But a lot of things that people start recognizing is like big risky behavior, like big change talk. I'm going to quit my job. I got this book idea. I'm going to write it on my own and I'm going to, but I don't make light of this. These are some of the things I grew up hearing from my brother. It's like when he would move into manic episodes, it's like the dude was full of ideas, but a lot of them caused him to change his life rapidly. Hypomania, again, is tougher to detect. You, you, they might be like, oh, I'm not sleeping as well. I'm staying up most of the night. Or again, there's kind of disclosing to you that there's this elevation, but it just might not be so obvious. And I know we mentioned this on last week's episode with self-harm with regard to the second part of your question, Savannah, um, how to encourage someone to seek help. Like it is really hard to get someone help if they don't want it. You didn't say that, but I always just take the approach of I'm worried about you or I'm concerned about you. I've noticed these things. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling? Have you considered talking to someone about this? And very just coming from a place of worry and concern. Um, If it is an adult at the end of the day, they're going to make their own decision, but just showing up for them and showing that you care usually can be the best way to help encourage them. So Jessica from Nebraska asked a similar question, um, but I still wanted to ask this because she said something interesting at the end. So how do you help someone with bipolar, especially someone who doesn't take their meds or receive treatment? I struggle not taking their actions or reactions personally. And that's why I wanted to highlight it with that last part. Yeah, I can. I think it can be really hard to to watch someone make choices and maybe watch them struggle. Um, I think that's sometimes the hardest part about being human is when you're like, I know that these things can be helpful for you, and watching someone make the choice actively not to, and and for whatever reason, there are a multitude of reasons why a person might not take medications, might not seek treatment. There's a lot of reasons, but. Um, it is hard not to take it personally. It is hard not to want to step in and and really speak up and try to force someone's hand um, into doing something. Um, and I think it's it, it all comes back to what can you control in that. And then if you need to set boundaries, um, sometimes we have to set boundaries and we have to set expectations with a person, even though we know that they might be struggling. Um, it might be like, I can't, I can't engage with you when this behavior, when this specific behavior is happening, because this is actually harmful to me. I will be here when, when you're ready, but when this is happening, I can't, I can't be involved in this. And sometimes that doesn't feel good as, as like a person who is, as the person who maybe isn't struggling with bipolar Um, because it feels like, oh, I'm just cutting them off. I'm not supporting them. But sometimes we have to do that in order to be able to be there in other ways. Jennifer from California asks, I'm a therapist that has yet to come across a client with bipolar disorder, so I'm pretty unfamiliar with it. I'm wondering what does therapy actually do for someone struggling with this disorder? Can you name some practical interventions to manage the symptoms? 
It's a really good question, Jennifer. I, I think um, whenever I've had clients that have had bipolar, I always talk about let's have well-rounded care that might look like medications, you know, if the person is open and willing, because I think that that is super helpful in managing symptoms. Um, we're not prescribers by any means, but I think collaborating with physicians and um, their care team is important. And then I sometimes take like a backdoor approach. I really like to look at values. So I look at ACT um, and I always say, you know, the way that you're showing up, just say, if you're not noticing your warning signs for mania, are you showing showing up in a way that's actually helpful for your relationships, for work? You know, there might be benefits, but um, are they aligned with your values? You know, if just say you're working on projects, but, you know, you're not seeing your friends and you're not seeing your family. So I try to notice from a really, really, really non-judgmental and compassionate place, where are the distinctions, you know, in the misalignment of values? Sometimes that could be helpful. Other practical solutions we mentioned before would be, you know, noticing the warning signs, a lot of psychoeducation. Like, what does it look like for you when you notice that you're going into a manic episode or a depressive episode? Um, and in what ways does it inhibit your functioning? Are you able to show up to work or not? Or are you doing a lot of work, like Jess was saying, getting all that work done in one week and then not being able to function the rest of the month? So I do think a mix of psychoeducation values work. Um, and obviously medication, I think that's very important for people with bipolar to consider that, um, might not be obviously for everybody depending on what they, what they feel is right. Um, but I do think having that conversation would be helpful as well. I so echo everything K10 said. And I think just as a reminder for us therapists, like we are the ones that tend to minimize having a holding space for someone to again, be able to talk about what they're experiencing in a non-judgmental space. I'm like every other therapist out there. I'm like, but what? tell me please what I should do. And I know K10 just nailed that. But if you just think of someone with bipolar disorder, how many people do they have in their life that they can openly talk about their symptoms of what they're experiencing minute by minute and that someone will sit in that with them? I'm just saying don't minimize that role and that experience. Love everything you all said. So Adriana from Oklahoma asks, what's a nice way to address that bipolar is not a joke to people who post things like Happy Manic Monday or talk about how they are so bipolar? You know, that's it's funny, even the Manic Monday, that's a song, right? It's amazing how things get... I would say it's a kind of shitty song. Like, not... <laughs> Like, I'm just like, I don't mean to blast whoever that artist is. I don't even know. But like, it's a song that I would hear at like a theme park when you like skip school and went on a Monday and you just hear that playing in the background. So it's, it's weird how things get into pop culture. And I don't even think people realize like what it means or maybe what it could mean. But I think bringing it up to people like, and especially with the, they're so bipolar. And really asking them, what do you mean by that? Like, how are you defining what bipolar is? You know, giving someone some space to air out, like what's coming to mind as they say that can be illuminating, but also it could open them up of like, I'd like to give you how we could really use that term or what that term actually means or refers to. Because you might be referring to that they're irritable. You might be like they're mm -hmm. having a mood swing, but that's not bipolar. So mm -hmm. again... 
is everyone open to having this dialogue? No. But I think even start with some curiosity and putting it back in their court of like, oh, what do you mean by bipolar? <laughs> I think sometimes I people that. can yeah. start like self they're like They're like, yo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sometimes I'll I, – I love what you said, Justin. And sometimes I'll open the conversation like, if I had a stain on my shirt, you would tell me, right? And the person would probably be like, of course, love you it. know? Like you, would, you wouldn't let me walk around like that. So I'm like, yeah, when you say this, I'm not going to let you walk around thinking that's okay. Like, mm. you know what I mean? And I try to like – diffuse it a little by like kind of giving an analogy but sometimes people just don't realize either like they, totally. sometimes people literally have no idea they don't know. um and it's it's so important to kind of like again from a really non-judgmental place even though we might be upset about like how they're saying it but they mm. might seriously not know sometimes i've even said like like if someone would have been like you know that's so bipolar or like oh i'm so ocd i would be like that's a weird way to describe yourself like what, what makes you like, why are you choosing to describe yourself in that way? Like, mm. just kind of putting it out, like kind of like opening that door for that, that conversation, because they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you're saying you're so bipolar, but it just seems like you're just irritated right mm. now. Mm. And oh, and like, and kind of like, oh, well, yeah, and you know, I'm not bipolar. And I was like, I don't mean it like that. And I'm like, well, you said it. So you obviously meant it like that. So and, and I do it in like, a, I mean, it depends on the person. I'd definitely be more aggressive. I mean, you guys know me. Um, but when it's someone who maybe I don't know very well, I'll definitely be more gentle. But like, I've also been like, absolutely fucking not. Absolutely not. We're not doing that today. And then I dive into being my angry self. But yeah. And for anyone wondering, Manic Monday is a song by the Bangles. Oh. Um. Hey, hey, Bangles. <laughs> you know what? Maybe not your best song, but I'm sure someone I, out I there mean, that song. It's, it's not for me, though. Justin so I'm, like, I'm looking at the lyrics on. right now, and, you know, gotta be to work by nine. And if I had an aeroplane, not airplane, aeroplane, I still couldn't make it on time. Is that not lyrical mastery right there, Justin? <laughs> Everybody give it a play after this. Just give it a spin. Just it start spin. streaming it and they're going to be like, why is why Wait, is Manic the, Monday starting, starting to stream again? Even the vibe is just kind of like – it's. A, we're going to write them a certified letter, like notarized, and be like, listen, you got to take this off the charts immediately. Like we're not cool with it. <laughs> Somebody out there probably likes that song though. It's okay, but yeah. got to think about these things. Mm-hmm. So Danielle from Canada says, my mom was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was in my early 20s. How do I hold space for her while also processing my own struggles from growing up with an undiagnosed parent? Ooh, I relate to this one so hard. <laughs> um, Danielle, I, I can understand the struggle. I have a parent with bipolar and um, I think it is really tough to be able to have open conversations with them about how it might affect you while also holding space because there might be that, we call it transference. You know, you might be processing your own stuff and they might not be able to hold space for you in a way that might be helpful or they might be able to, who knows. So I always think that therapy is really helpful, like Justin said, to actually have that space for someone to hear and perceive you in a way that might be helpful where you don't have to worry about, you know, hurting their feelings or worrying about how they might come off or what, what how they might internalize it. So I think therapy would be a, a good first line for that. Totally. Yeah. I, I can't recommend enough. I think that was one of the first things like when I was getting my own therapy was for 
just the chaotic nature that was brought into my family dynamic because of my brother's, um, you know, manic episodes. Like it just, it was taxing like on our whole family and we'd worry about him and then we'd find out he's in juvie again. And it was just a lot, but for you to have your own space to process and talk about things would definitely be necessary. I, it, it took many years. Like my brother died when he was 25, but we were able to have those conversations when we were both in our 20s, like after we had both been through a good amount of therapy. So sometimes it's a later conversation. Like it doesn't have to be now. And I think people have to do their own healing first to arrive at a place where it's like, okay, I'm ready to hold space and kind of talk about what we've both been through. Absolutely. I made I made a facial expression not at you, but uh, KBI was calling me a pain in the ass through the chat. So I just want to let you know that facial expression was not directed at you, Justin. Now we that we got video heartfelt, going, heartfelt. I know, I know. We, I gotta our group members are gonna, gonna make know. their own assumptions. I'm not. Gonna, I'm just gonna put yeah. this out there. I've seen KBI yawn at least six times this episode. So <gasps> no, if you're watching way. this, you're like, yeah, I think it's a pretty boring fucking episode, according to KBI. And she's mute. We're just she's not going to watch good. it or listen yeah. to it. So, but the best is she's talking her head off right now, and she's on mute. <laughs> <laughs> she, that's karma because she told me in the chat that she wanted to mute me forever. Look at it come full circle, Eat baby. Like, I, said, I said, cut me some slack. I've been sl- I slept in my kid's bed last night, and I didn't have coffee today. That I'm is. Like, you got more really? sleep last night than probably the past yeah, three body. nights combined. Remember how you said if you get an extra hour of sleep, you're off? I got an extra like five hours of sleep, so I'm totally and off. And you're still off. We don't know what's going on. Justin, thank you for sharing that really sentimental and beautiful. Uh, I don't even know what I said, but I'm sure. At this point. Like, I appreciate it. Whatever. I just, I, just want, I just want you to know like, I'm not, I wasn't like making a facial expression at you. It was like really disrespectful. I'll God. talk about it in my own therapy. We're good. Good. I'm quitting this I'll Send me the bill. Yeah. We'll, we'll all chip in this round. So Cindy from Brooklyn says, hey, guys. So I've gotten a bipolar diagnosis before, the milder one. So I'm going to assume that's bipolar too. Um, my question is, if there are so many disorders with so many closely related symptoms, how do I know if I was properly diagnosed or misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder. I mean, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, I guess my question is, like, is this just, like, do you feel like you've been misdiagnosed or is this more a general question? And if you do feel Mm. like you've been misdiagnosed, I would bring it up to therapist, um, psychiatrist, whoever diagnosed you. Um, because there are a lot of overlapping symptoms, and I know we have a, a lot of questions about specifics um, coming up in a little bit. Um, I would also, at least with bipolar disorder, and this might also just be because this is not an area of expertise for mine, I am not one that's going to diagnose bipolar disorder after one session. Um, so how much time did your therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever it was, spend with you before giving you a diagnosis. Do you feel like, have you done your own um, research on bipolar disorder? Do you feel like you meet the symptoms? Are there questions you have? And I would just have an open conversation with your provider or providers about the diagnosis. 
So Mary from Illinois says, I am a therapist and have recently been diagnosed with bipolar. And the psychiatrist said, quote, bipolar is synonymous with trauma. I had always been told it was much more genetic. Does trauma contribute? So I saw this question beforehand, did a little deep dive because I had never heard that before. Trauma, early life stress can impact pretty much everything. But from everything I dug up, it was around 80%. It, it's still looking like this is a very genetic disorder. I found a little bit of a discussion. It can trauma, you know, activate the genes that, which is always kind of a discussion. Like early life trauma can kind of activate genes that maybe we were handed. But with almost everyone I've worked with or everyone I know with bipolar disorder, they can trace it in their family tree. So again, I got a little curious here once again, is if this, uh, was it the psychiatrist, did they say, or whoever it was? Yeah, yeah, psychiatrist. I'm wondering if they were confusing BPD, borderline personality disorder, because there's more conversation out there of is BPD, can it be fully explained by a trauma response? Like in that, I think there's a lot more discussion around. I'm with you. I've never heard that. Um, and I know that bipolar has a high heterability rate. If you have a parent or a grandparent or somebody in your family, you know, you have a, it doesn't mean that you'll have bipolar, but you have a higher likelihood of experiencing bipolar disorder symptoms. So I'm with you, Justin. I just want to echo that. I'm also going to echo that because I hadn't heard that either. And like Justin, I did some research and Justin, you summarized it beautifully that um yes trauma like may have contributing factors in childhood specifically and that's more about how it interacts with genes and things like that but yeah i would be curious and maybe talk to your psychiatrist more about that as well um so Noah from the UK asked, I've heard a lot of girls diagnosed with autism have previously been misdiagnosed with bipolar. What are the similarities and differences that make this happen? P.S. Thanks for the podcast. You're welcome. I personally, I'll be honest. Never, I, I don't. I've never heard that correlation. So that's something that's pretty new to me. Like I'm even racking my brain right now, just thinking of like the different behaviors associated, like with both, and seeing how that could, you know, where that could overlap. And when and I think I'm, of differential diagnosis, I think of course there might be overlap. I'm not an autism spectrum disorder expert by any means. It's not my field. I wonder maybe. Maybe I could I could see irritability if things aren't going well, if there's like a change or something like that. But I with bipolar, it's like Justin said earlier, it's episodic and it might not be impacted by the environment or changes. It might just be an episode. So I to be honest with you, Noah, I'm so happy you asked. I just don't know um if I have any resources to even know how to answer the question, you know? Um Yeah, not not to skip ahead, but I think 
I'm, I'm just curious. I know Melanie from New Jersey asked, what about yeah. what about ADHD? Um, basically saying it gets misdiagnosed in children, bipolar, and ADHD. I think that has more overlap. I think you could definitely argue like- I agree. The mm-hmm. impulsivity, like the- Distractibility. Uh, distractibility, yeah. difficulty focusing attention. Like I, I think there's a lot yeah. more in the executive functioning realm that you could see if someone's, especially manic, maybe a little hypomanic. Yeah. I'm really thinking that through. But I think I think there's more overlap with ADHD and bipolar than with autism. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like the only thing like autism I could see like an overlap is more like when you're stereotypically maybe looking at the mood swings and like mood instability part. Um, but even yeah, then that yeah, doesn't, yeah. that doesn't add up to, for me. Um, but like you said, the ADHD, the dopamine chasing, the exact, like that adds up more for me for a misdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. So I had not heard this either. I've heard some about going to something Justin said overlap between or differential diagnosis between autism and borderline personality disorder because like the interpersonal difficulties, um, instability of self, mood dysregulation. Um, But when looking up ahead of time, like I found some interesting stats, but once again, it was more about like the correlation between autism and bipolar and not like misdiagnosed. So uh, a 2015 study found that about seven people, uh, 7% of people with autism are also bipolar. Um, and then 30% of youth diagnosed with bipolar one are also diagnosed with autism spectrum. Um, that came out in 2013. So these are pretty old studies. And then there's some mm-hmm. um research suggesting some genetic connections between the two, but kind of echoing what was already said, kind of like the irritability is the main thing I would think about. But I've definitely seen more concerns of like ADHD and bipolar, like the impulsivity, same executive dysfunction, hyperactivity. Yeah. And I I don't want to do a shameless plug for psychologists, but I do think psychological testing is helpful for these things. When you're looking Mm -hmm. at differential diagnosis, there's different tests that you do for ADHD compared to autism, compared to bipolar. I mean, even if I'm thinking of like the MMPI-2, or now there's the Mm -hmm. MMPI-3. I mean, bipolar could come up on that. Um, You know, There's just different tests that we do that really assist in diagnosing a differential diagnosis. So I always think for anybody out there who is confused about their diagnosis, I mean, it is worthwhile, in my opinion, if you have the money, the opportunity, and the privilege to do this, you know, to to get a thorough evaluation. You can always get a second opinion too, just kind of see what happens. So I'm going to kind of do the next two in one because they, they're similar but asked different ways. So Des from Michigan says – I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I'm worried about being on meds my whole life. Is it possible to function without them? And then Gabby from California asked, can there be a point in life when someone with bipolar disorder experiences no symptoms? Yeah. So none of us are psychiatrists. I think the first one's almost risky to answer in a way Uh, because it's – none of our expertise unless don't let me speak for y'all y'all might have 
some no, certification I don't, I don't do know meds. about or something. But yeah, um, <clears throat> I would definitely talk to a psychiatrist, MD, DO, your prescriber about the how often should I? I can just speak from my brother's perspective and maybe to the second point. There are and can certainly be moments where there's no symptoms. The thing with bipolar, especially compared to other mental health things, is it can be really hard to predict. Like the episodes, like even with depression, there can, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, seasonal timing of episodes and even start to notice isolation trigger. My experience with bipolar has been that uh, predicting episodes is really, really hard. Thus, I I think, to, to the best of my knowledge, it's really hard to predict when someone would not be taking medication. That's, again, talk to your provider about uh, the first one, Des, for sure. I really appreciate the question. But to Gabby's question, for sure, people do have periods where there's no symptoms and no episodes. The only thing I would add, and once again, as I've said multiple times, bipolar is not an area of expertise for me, but in general, my understanding is bipolar is considered a mental health disorder that is more likely going to be lifelong. Now, like Justin said, that doesn't mean there's not going to be periods of time without symptoms, um, but it is considered a diagnosis similar to like schizophrenia that once you receive the diagnosis, it is more of a lifelong diagnosis than say maybe major depressive disorder where somebody could have one major depressive episode and never experience it again, yeah. whereas other people could continue to experience it for the rest of their life. Um, but if I misspoke, anybody, please correct me. No, I think I think you're on point. I think when people – um, but to not give up hope, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I think that there's definitely ways to manage it. And I, I, I will say just in the people in my life who have bipolar, the symptoms, they could change in frequency over time, not the episodes themselves, but they might not feel as impactful in terms of impairing functioning because people get better over time at dealing with their diagnosis. If they are on this healing journey, you know, they're, they're better at managing it. They're better at knowing the signs, they're better at knowing what kind of jobs they have to hold in order to kind of keep them in a place where they feel okay. Um, for example, if you're, if you have bipolar, maybe you don't have stable housing, that's going to obviously impact things because, you know, it's, it's going to be harder to manage your symptoms. Whereas if you obtain stable housing, then those symptoms might be easier to manage. So I do think that environmental circumstances also dictate how severe the symptoms could be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the symptoms will just go away randomly uh, to Jess's point. Yeah. And to echo that hope, like my brother, before he passed away for years had found stability. He had found stability in his work, in the community of people he had around him in the things he was doing to, again, I know it sounds cliche, but to manage self-care, like he had hobbies, he had interests, he had good people in his life for years. Um, unfortunately, he went through trauma. My dad passed away from cancer. That kind of rattled him in a way that it was hard to recover. So he turned back to substance. But yes, I, and I know that's true for a lot of people's stories out there. It's like 
we don't we don't know exactly what's going to help somebody find stability or find pause between episodes but yeah keeping that hope and moving forward in a way that you feel like you're pursuing your dreams and have done some reflection to ask yourself of like who's good to have in your life and what kind of like activities and things you need to keep So Allie from Vancouver says, very few people outside my family know of my diagnosis because I feel it changes their perception of me. I'm divorced and looking to date again, but don't know at what point to bring this up. Too soon and I fear it will scare people off. Too late and I fear they'll think I'm hiding it. Disclosing a mental illness seems less accepted than disclosing a mental health challenge. That is such a good question. And I think I want to preface this with saying not everybody deserves access to you and all of the inner workings of your mind and all the inner workings of what you struggle with. You know, if you feel over time that this could be a trusted person, you know, when I when I think about the dating scene, that could be with anything. You know, if you have a physical disability or an ailment or you take medication for blood pressure, like, I mean, I know these things are different, but you don't have to disclose these even in the first couple of months. Everybody dates differently. Um, but whenever my clients talk to me about this or even my colleagues or friends, I always think, what would be helpful about telling this person this information about me? Is it going to actually benefit the situation in helping me facilitate a good connection? Because it's all about connection when you're dating, right? So I do really think about what is the notable factors that would help me in this situation in terms of like saying this or not saying this. And it's not that you're hiding it. I think it's just the timing makes sense for certain people at different times. I don't know if y'all agree or disagree, but that's just kind of what I lead with. And that's with anything, even friends like or anything like that. Because if you're worried about perception, then I always think, are we worried about being perceived inaccurately? Are we worried about feeling, like you said, judged? Um, And I think if you're with somebody who you know wow, they have such compassion and they're not judgmental and they they hold space for me, then that might be a good opening of the door. Like, let me tell this person these things. But if you don't get that vibe, then it's okay to withhold it. It's That's how I operate too. Uh, it's not just with dating, um, but that's a really good question. Yeah, that was a great answer, K10. And I guess just to build on that or add additional thoughts, going off the fear of they think, or you you fear that they think they're hiding it. I would argue that if it is the right person, a good person, whatever term you want to use, they're not going to feel like you're hiding it and rather they're going to be appreciative that you shared it. And if they do respond, like, why did you hide that from me? That might not be a person that you want to be in a relationship with Mm -hmm. because it takes time to build trust. And just like K10 said, not everybody deserves access to you. And, you know, sharing a diagnosis of any type, but especially one that is highly stigmatized, which we talked about at the beginning, unfortunately, um, bipolar disorder still is, you know, it does take a lot of vulnerability and courage and you have to feel a level of safety with them. Um, so, with that fear of, will they think I'm hiding it? If they do, then I think that tells more about them than you and your disclosure. Okay. So our last question comes from Sylvia in Kentucky. 
And I wanted to end on this one as a little teaser for what is coming next week. So what is the difference between bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder? Take it home. Take it home. It. Take it home. You got it. You you go and then we'll we'll see. We'll fill in each other's blanks. Just fill in my gaps. All How right, about that? Let's do it. Let's do it <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um when I think of bipolar, I think of, you know, the mood fluctuation and that that um with the mania not mood fluctuation, the the manic episodes followed by the depressive episodes. And that's a constant experience for people. And it's it could be predictable, it could not be predictable with with borderline personality disorder, how I conceptualize this is it's a chronic, long-lasting experience that people have in terms of impulsivity, self-image, a deep sense of fear of real or perceived abandonment. Um, They might not have a stable image of maybe how they see themselves and maybe how they see the world potentially. Um, Usually, usually for people with borderline, there could be trauma, you know, Um, for bipolar could be the same. So I always like to look at the overlaps potentially. Um, but when I think of bipolar, if I just compare it with bipolar, the notable feature is mania with borderline. The notable feature is feeling an unstable sense of self. And those two are very different for people. Um, with borderline, there also might be suicidal ideation, um, not mandatory, but a lot of people do experience that, um, with bipolar that could be part of the depressive episode, but not always. Um, so those are the major, if I could generalize, it's hard to generalize, but those are the major generalizations that I could think of. Um, Justin, what would you say? That was like nail on the head. I think the only thing I'd add is like with borderline personality disorder, it's also often triggered through conflicts with other people where with bipolar. It's relational. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not, it's not to say it's never, but that that's, BPD, borderline personality disorder, is much more exactly a relational, triggered in close relationships where bipolar, it's it's not so much. Nailed it. I think we did pretty good. We're definitely going to find out, though, how good we What's, did. What, I can't so the wait. question that I have is, like, what does this have to do with next week? You don't know? Did anybody tell her? I don't think anybody. She's not invited. Maybe I didn't get the memo. I didn't get the memo. <laughs> Somebody will be taking my place because I'm out. Oh, I didn't want to say it. Who's Who? taking your Who's taking your place? Don't tell her. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. It's going to be a surprise. Ooh. Ooh, a surprise. We'll wait. We'll wait and surprise you then. Okay. Next week, we're going to have our first guest. <gasps> Star, celebrity, maybe the, maybe the tease I'll just say, they it won just, Influencer of the Year. They're mm. like, they're like my hero, legit. Kind of a big deal. Like, kind of kind big, of big of deal. Big, big deal. deal. Real big. And the coolest thing about this person is I met them in real life and most humble person, seriously. Like, just so cool. Just so down to earth, you know? I loved it. Best experience ever. 10 out of 10. Gold star. 10 out of 10. Gold star. Well, I'm just going to bring us back to earth right here by giving a little reflection question. A little little something ground ourselves as we head out the door here. And that's, what's one way could you support someone with bipolar? Hope you learned a little something here. But we just love doing these. You know, sometimes they pull up things from our own past 
I know for me, I was getting emotional through this, thinking about my brother. But that's what I love about these real conversations that we have is we're bringing our all into these podcast episodes. Y'all do the same with your questions, participating in the polls. We look forward to it every week. I know I'm learning things, growing through it, loving the discussion. If you enjoyed this in any way, shape, or form, like, share, tell someone about it. Maybe you're like, now they have video. Sometimes I look at their faces. Seems preferable. I put my hand over Dr. J, but the rest seems pretty preferable. <laughs> but no, y'all, we're doing the video thing because y'all requested it so much. So we, we hope to keep making this podcast something you look forward to each week as we roll into our first episode with a guest next week, which I know you'll enjoy. Bye. Bye, guys. See you guys. Bye. Peace.